get me. From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark Hershon. Yes, it is I, me... Well, it's me once again, Mark Hershon, and this is Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast, playing clips from comedy podcasts scattered across the interwebs. Welcome to Epi 35, coming to you from Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah, I'm on vacation this week, but still wanted to get uh, an episode done. I am staying right off the beach. The windows are open. It's late at night. The waves are crashing on the shore, and uh, that's what you're hearing in the background. Uh, if you're hearing it. If you're not hearing it, trust me, it's there because I'm hearing it. Uh, in addition to uh, clips from comedy podcasts, we also have interviews with comedians and podcasters here on Succotash. Sometimes the comedians and podcasters are one in the same. And we have uh, an interview for you today as well as some clips. Uh, last episode, Epi 34, I ran out of time to play all the clips I had. So I've uh, got those. I've got a few other ones. Uh, so we'll be kicking things off with a big meaty handful of podcastery, and then we'll get to my interview with Sammy Wegent, comedian actor, also the creator of a web comedy series that's just wrapping up its first season with show number six on YouTube this week called Everyone's a, Everybody's a Comedian, and you shouldn't miss it, especially episode two. That's the one that I guest star in. But we've got Sammy here, and he'll be talking about what's led him up to uh, the concept for the series. Also, a lot of background glimpses into what brought him into comedy in the first place. But that's a little later. Let's get to those clips, starting off with uh, Here's the Thing. The first clip out of the bag is not from uh, one of what we'd think of as one of today's struggling podcasters. Alec Baldwin kicked off his own podcast late last year. Uh, and as you might imagine, he can probably pretty much get whoever he wants as a guest. I'm actually reviewing this particular episode of Here's the Thing. Uh, this week uh, in comedy podcasts over on splitsider.com, so be sure to check that out. In the meantime, here's a few minutes with Alec and Fred Armisen, his guest this episode, who talks about the transition point he went through from drummer to comedian. In 1998, Armisen went with his band to Austin, Texas for the South by Southwest Music Festival. Along with his drums, he brought a video camera. And there were all these seminars and stuff on how to make it in the music biz and... <sighs> Somehow, uh, I got it in my head to interview people, do different characters, and uh, it just became this this video. Of, and you've never of, done anything like that before. No, you're down there, and the, and the whole uh, the whole experience down there was a musical one. But yeah. you start doing funny stuff, and I don't even know why I did it. You know, I was just like, I just thought it would be a fun thing to do, and a friend of mine edited it together, and that tape. This is 1998. Uh, sort of made the rounds. They, they wrote about it in this local Chicago paper, and then I showed it at a club there that I used to play in Trenchmouth at this club. As many people turned out for that, it was with the band. So right away I knew, like, oh, I could do this and not have to load in my equipment back and forth. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, the reaction was greater than when I was in a band. On that night, I thought, oh, this might be a way to go. 
I'm here with the Aluminum Group. I just wanted to know from you guys, who thought up the name of the band? And I don't mean like originally, I mean like who was the person who decided that that was going to be the name? And what record label are you on? Is it the same record label that you were on a couple years ago? Or is it one that's going to be different? And is it the one that's going to be on in, in Europe? Did everybody in Trenchmouth get really sad then? Did they know you were going to go? Um, Maybe. But they're my friends, so I think they, you know, they had they kept on going with another band. I called all of them, and they said they hate you, and they'll never oh, forget. Damn it! No, but hatred equals love. Yeah, it's the flip you know, side. It, it's a, it's, a, it's still an emotion. It's still a warm emotion. They're not ignoring me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were already uh, bro- broken up or breaking up, so it was a very natural progression. Right. Uh, at the time, I was playing drums for Blue Man Group in Chicago. Uh-huh. So. Um, but that's doing the same thing every night, isn't it? Yeah. That's a show. Yeah. How'd that grab you? I, lo- I learned a lot. You did. I learned a lot from that show. Because, do you, have you, are you familiar with yes. the show? Pure Entertainment. It's been playing down on Lafayette Street yeah. for like 900 years. Pure Entertainment. You know, I'm up there in the sort of, the, the drums are above the stage, and you can kind of look down at the audience. And I learned that the audience is one to just be entertained. Yeah. You don't have to overthink anything. If you're, if, you're, if you're entertaining enough, they're there. They want something to do at night. They're predisposed. Yeah. How long did you do that? Two years. Two years. Yeah. It's the first time I got a paycheck for playing the drums. And I, to me, it was a million dollars. And the last. And the right. last. And the yeah. last. Yes, after absolutely. That. After that, comedy. So, you're, yeah, that's the last what time What did I got. you learn from Blue Man? Um, simplicity. To not overthink ideas. Speed, they change from one bit, as it were, to the next very quickly. Um, I think uh, reinvention a little bit. They would keep sort of renewing the show a little bit just to keep it lively. That, that is what I, I came away with the most, that audiences want, it, want to be entertained. Go to WNYC.com to find Here's the Thing or type it into Google or just get it from iTunes. Uh, so track that down. Uh, love the reviews we're getting on iTunes. It really helps us with visibility. So if you get a chance to click over there, rate us some stars. Four or five stars are nice. And if you have a minute, even dash off a sentence or two in a short review because every little bit helps and we jump up a little bit higher every time somebody says something nice about us. If you listen to us through Stitcher Smart Radio, you can also go over to their site and give us a thumbs up, which will also help us climb the charts there. Next up, a new podcast for us, Get Into Character, uh, starring Tommy and Chubby, blasting out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Don't know too much about these guys, but they've got 22 episodes under their belt, and they seem to be taking this podcast thing pretty seriously, or kind of seriously and if and if angus doodle from oil and doodle likes them that's good enough for me at least that's what it says on their site he likes them so here's a taste of get into character we played this show it was all right it was pretty cool but the, uh, this guy these guys decided uh they were gonna have a little get gathering afterwards get together a little shindig and uh we're all hanging out listening to music like drinking beers or whatever and yeah. uh at least chubby and i these guys are really cool too. They were into like Dinosaur Junior, I remember. And the Meat Man. And like Pavement. Yeah. Yeah. And weird stuff. Stuff that I listened to. Yeah, you guys got it along great. And one guy had really long hippie hair and he had a, a cowboy hat that he kept persistently putting on my head. Do you remember that? I thought He's they like, all hated keep, me. You keep this hat on your head. I thought they hated us. I literally did. We were yeah. way younger than they I'm were. I'm pretty huh? sure, yeah. We were uh, 19 and 18. So long haired guy with cowboy hat. Yeah. Goes into. 
his bedroom with his girlfriend. Yeah, he goes in there because they have sex. And a mere minutes later? There's a mirror? I said a mirror, like just moments later. Maybe. Oh, and a mirror. <laughs> oh, okay. I know, I didn't see the interior of the room. <laughs> There's a mirror? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, they come out like, like, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, moments later after that. We moments were, we later. yelled Jerry on base. They did. They yelled, or he yelled Jerry yeah, on base. Yelled Jerry One on base. guy in his room, he was like, Jerry on Jerry base. On base. And, they all, and all his friends out, out of it, outside with us were just start laughing. And we're like, what the hell you, are you laughing about? And then they tell us the story of Jerry, Jerry on, on base. base. <laughs> Let's see what we did there. <laughs> yeah, we did that there. <laughs> What was the original story of Jerry The original story of Jerry on base was... I wasn't there for that, it, I guess. Well, I mean, that is, that's just there. what they yelled when uh, they were having sex and there's other people in the other room. Yeah, that's just what they do. Yeah. And, uh... That's not the end of the story. <laughs> Where, who's Jerry, though? He gave us a cadence. It was yeah, nice. that was nice. <laughs> yeah, this is when the story picks up. Because it's like, dunk, 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 dunk. Okay. But, yeah, but... Uh, 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 I thought when we were talking in British was when we were picking it up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just they explained it to us. I thought Jerry was, was the bass player for that band. I know. I don't I, think it has you... anything to do with them. Oh, nothing? I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with them. It's just coincidental. Oh. Well, but, yeah. But there is a guy named Jerry who plays bass that they knew. Yeah. I, and uh, We all know him. His name is Jerry only. He plays in the Misfits. So. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so anyways. That um, was the story of... Jerryon Bass. That wasn't. Get, that, that was the that was the story, wasn't it? Yeah. Get, Not really anything yeah. more. Well, get in the character, everybody. Good night. Getting. Wait. Okay. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. There's more to that story. There's more to that story. Yeah. Smiling more music. <laughs> so that guy with the long hair and the cowboy hat, he comes out. Well, his girlfriend comes out first, and then. She bolts out like nothing ever happened. We're all like, oh, what the fuck? And then like a 15 minutes later, long-haired dude with the hat runs out, and he's like, she broke up with me, dude. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and then he drinks a lot. A shit ton. Like a lot after that. Yeah. And uh, he started getting like affectionate to everybody. And yeah. then he was like, like when he first came out, he was like. An asshole. Total asshole yeah. straight up to Dick. me. But then he drank a bunch. Yeah. And was like, dude, I love you so much, man. And his, his, his cowboy hat, he just started putting it on everybody. Yeah. He ended up being yeah. like a real good time. But uh, that's, that's, that was just kind of a fucked up yeah. situation. Us who have never been out of Alpina much. You know what I mean? Like. We met some Graylingers. Yeah, you know. Which is only like an hour and a half away from where we're People in Grayling, they're tough. They're party. They know how to party, man. Yeah, anyway, so uh, since then we decided, because that was just such an interesting night, that every time one of us was having sex or doing something with, with uh, someone else in another room and you didn't want your friend to barge in on you, you yelled, Jerry on bass. Or you text it. Or you text it. <laughs> Whatever. Just Jerry on base needs to be represented somehow. You can write it out on a banner and put it in front of your door. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yep. So, yeah, Jerry on base. Jerry on base. Facebook.com slash Jerry on base. Like it. <laughs> it's funny. Find them over at gicpodcast.blogspot.com, iTunes, and their Facebook page, Get Into Character. 
Soda Pop Talk just started popping up on my radar the past few months when I uh, started seeing their tweets. They've sent in a clip and a blurb about their show. Uh, This is from Dan and Nolan, and they say, We are just two normal guys with too much to say about nothing and anything. Uh, Sometimes they go over the line only to realize there's still further to go. Soda Pop Talk is a show that's about variety, not just about soda pop, able to span current topics to drunken antics of family to UFOs to fecal matter to meaning of life, philosophical debates. Okay, not so much the latter, but you get the idea. Come and join the ride that is Soda Pop Talk. This clip is one of their favorite clips that make them laugh every time they hear it. It's a clip uh, from a bit of a story about Nolan's 21st birthday, which apparently was years ago. We all went to the strip club. I think it was Mike that was there. We're all just sitting there, and there's a stripper up on the stage doing... Doing what a stripper does. Doing all the thing <laughs> and everything. And she had a tattoo on her uh, right abdomen, I guess, on her right side. Okay. Kind of... Yeah, yeah, right there. Got it. I mean, that's very visual for the people listening. But well, yeah. I'm trying to show you so you can probably help me. I don't want to see that. No, no, put it out. You can put that no, right, 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 right. <laughs> Anyways, it was on, like, the right side of her admin, kind of on our side and everything. And we're all sitting there, and we're, like, you know, and just watching her do her thing, you know. And we're all, like, we all stop. And we all start squinting at her, and we're, like, trying to figure out what the hell it is. <laughs> what this tattoo is because it takes up a pretty good side of her portion of her side and her abdomen and stuff and uh but my i apparently made the wrong decision because i leaned forward a little bit (laughs) (laughs) i leaned forward to get a better look at it instead of just squinting well that's the natural thing to do so i leaned forward and she stops right in the middle of it dude right in the middle of it she's doing her thing with the dancing and she just stops walks forward Looks at me and goes, "It's a mil- it's a militant teddy bear, you fucking asshole!" <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle of her dance, dude. I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" She's like, "What the fuck's wrong with you? You probably have a small dick and everything too, huh?" Wow. And I'm sitting here. I'm like. Obvious I'm the birthday boy because, right. you know, it's like, birthday in the house and blah, blah, blah. Right. Everybody knows who the birthday boy is, you know. They make sure they know. Right. And and I was like, really? You're going to stop right in the middle jiggling your tits, get all serious and call me a fucking asshole. <laughs> but the funny, it's a militant teddy bear. Yeah. I still couldn't see it after she fucking <laughs> told me, dude. Yeah. What exactly does a militant teddy bear look like? I guess a teddy bear and with the army helmet on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you still, I don't, you still, I get, still, you still don't couldn't know see that. the definition of it, huh? I still, it looks like I, I could get Mr. Hanky out of it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was just really dark brown. Maybe it was just the lighting in the club or something. Probably. Because it's all dark with purple. Right. Haze. Well, they don't want you to see it. It's actually what they actually look like. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the beer's for, remember? Right, right. Looking better. Oh, oh down to the beer. Oh, looking even better. Yep, yep. My Corona. <laughs> I don't even know what you're drinking. It's not the Clash. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's my Sharona, but you know. Ah, <laughs> uh, got it. Coronas. Weird Al, that's where it's from. There you uh, go. Ah, click. There you click. go. But that was funny. Yeah. She was, yeah, but she was sitting there going off on me, and it was, she did this for like two, three minutes, dude. Wow. 
I looked right in the middle of her set. We're all like stared at. We're like, really? <laughs> but I had like a wad of ones, you know, your money ones. I looked at. I held it right up, and I took it and I put it right in my pocket. And I leaned <laughs> back. <laughs> I think she got the hit because she continued on with her thing. Yeah. She didn't get a single fucking dollar from me, dude. Yeah. Well, Shit, you know what's funny like after that. oh after that I went to the pisser and I was coming back and this guy stopped me yeah and he's like oh it's your birthday yeah yeah it's like well the, I'm sorry my girlfriend did that up on stage to you and blah blah, blah. let me buy you a shot wow <laughs> her boyfriend <laughs> bought me drinks dude because <laughs> he felt bad and he's like that's so mean I was like <laughs> find more soda pop talk at sodapoptalk.podbean.com iTunes, also on Stitcher Smart Radio. Uh, here's a comedy podcast from Down Under, joining our friends at the D-Head Factor and the Rigid Fists. It's The Half Scoop, hosted by stand-up comedian Bryce McKeon, film student Corbin Mitchell, and musician Stephen Denham. Each week they sit down and talk about anything and everything, including time travel, films, and Batman. This week's hypothetical is, would you rather be trapped in the past... Where only dinosaurs are around. Ooh. Or would you rather be trapped in the future where you're considered a dum-dum? Well, you're like the dinosaur of the time. You're like, yeah, because like you're, you don't know new technology. You just, and, and like everyone's like, oh, that dumb pasty. What, do you, what would you prefer? Trapped with dinosaurs or trapped in future? Future. Okay, so what are you doing in the, in the future? What, what do you try and do like as a job-wise? <laughs> like all your family, this podcast, you can't... Do you think the podcast that we make here, someone will be listening to in the year 3000? Or do you try and like, claim this on that fame? Batman they keep talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you this try and... Batman. What, what do you do? What do you do for a living? What do you do for a job? What do you do for a girlfriend? Um, do you get like a year robot? 3000. Uh... Do you get a robot girlfriend? A Marilyn Monroe robot? <laughs> I don't know if there's some pretty good models, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they're still working on a prototype. Pretend it's like, it's sort of like Blade Runner meets Futurama Future. Hmm. What do you do? What do you do for a job? What like? What do I do for a job? I don't know. What's going on? What's going on with the? You can, okay, you have a what's choice. What's going on politically and socially, Bryce? Come on. Well, the, um, set the scene. Well, the, well, the, the 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 Mars the Mars colonists are very angry at Earth because of the price of oxygen uh-huh. on their planet. There's um can, there's a short there's a, there's a shortage on candles because it's become a a commodity, and uh, people seem to think that uh, buttons are useless and always have been useless. In my what? future, buttons will be currency. Yes, buttons are currency. Actually. As in shirt buttons? As in shirt buttons. And huh. like the shinier the button, the more it's worth. Okay. And so when you ask, does anyone have change for a button? So one of those like trouser buttons are like bigger but worth less. They're like 50 cent pieces. Hmm. There's no such thing as cans. Have we They're found... what they call space tubes. Have we discovered other life in the galaxy? No, that, we, oh, that sucks. Well, well, we did, but during the wars of 2550, we wiped them all out. Every single one. Trump. Yes. Yeah. How do we do that? We don't have the technology have for that. Lasers. With Space Hitler. Space Hitler. Yeah, during the rise of Space Hitler. <laughs> and he attacked the second coming of Jesus in a massive fight on the moon. Was there a planet which called Which destroyed Poland? our moon, turning the Earth, to, the moon turned into an asteroid belt around Earth. And now we look like, now people call us Saturn Jr. <laughs> I don't know, guys, but that planet, Man. Polandis, looks really good. Your future sucks. It's Pol- <laughs> It's a planet, po- Polandis, Poland. Poland? Oh, it's po- space Hitler. You know, Why it's like, is space Hitler in Because he Poland. invaded Poland. Yeah, but shouldn't it be space like Germany? 
No, remember they invaded Poland. Wouldn't it be cool? It's another. That's him saying he's looking at space Poland and going, "Yeah, I'll have me a bit of that." Oh, it's like a space government. Can planet, I please have one Poland? Planet France Tron. So would would Mars be space Poland in that analogy? I don't know. You completely missed my joke. I, I totally did. I'm not sure what I'd do. Maybe just be a space hobo. Tell you what, you can you can space hobo with a space bindle over your shoulder. Yes. That sounds like a band we need to do, Corbin. Space space hobo. Space hobo. Like I always imagine this podcast forming a band like Corbin would play bass, I'd play keyboards and use my drum machine and you'd just be like a front man. Alright, I can just like wail a bit and we'd be like called Space Hobo or something. Let's do it the This is our concept album about Batman. <laughs> Every song's about Batman. I lost my parents in the alley. Now I fight crime. Is that the Venom Black theme you're No, 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 but I was just doing it slower and on bass. Okay. With my mouth. Okay, so. You're like licking the guitar. Never had a lesson in my in my life. Okay. Do you go crazy space future or do you go past? I go past just so I can impress the dinosaurs by showing them the Beatles songs before they wrote them. I'd get <laughs> so much dinosaur pussy. Get the full scoop on The Half Scoop at thehalfscoop.podbean.com. Also on iTunes, a lot of podcasters from Podbean this week for some reason. Uh, been a while since we checked in on Way Too Hip Radio with Lionheart and Lab Rat. You can hear them every uh, live every Monday, 7 to 9 p.m. East Coast time at waytoohip.com. Here's a recent clip featuring Lab Rat talking about an evening gone way wrong, and this was just the start of the evening. I had a messed up night. You had a messed up night of sleep. There's, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. For people that don't know, if you ever see me post anything online about assassins coming for me, yeah. I'm not joking. They're tiny, tiny assassins. They're tiny little, you know, I, I like to think now that they're from Pittsburgh. <laughs> I think they all come from Pittsburgh, these assassins, because they're all black and yellow, black I, and yellow. I agree. You know, I'm with you. So these little fuckers come after me. These little bastard assassins come after me. And most times it's unwarranted. It's absolute nonsense. I'm like, so what the fuck? Occasionally they come out. But yesterday I was attacked by assassins. All right. And it was fully my fault. My fault. So you provoked these assassins. I provoked these assassins. I was making noise around where they live. I was, you know, just fucking with their general. I was just, state. yeah, just, you know, I might have killed a couple of them by accident, yeah, like right you there. You know, they're that. pretty pissed. So I, I make a pass. Yeah, I go by, I go by their little den of, den of murder, den of thievery and, and shame. Yeah, and then I fucking make a second pass, and bam, you nail them. I got, I got stung, right in my fucking elbow, or right in my my wrist, right in your wrist. I got elbow stung like right over here. No, my wrist. Your elbow. My wrist. This is, my, this is my wrist over here. Elbow. This is my wrist. You said elbow, so I'm confused. No, it's just my wrist. Just your wrist. Okay. Yeah. Not I'm, your elbow. I'm still hallucinating. So listen. So <laughs> right. I got stung. I got stung in my wrist, and I was like, fuck. So I go, fuck. What, how many times just, did you say fuck? Just once. Because you said it twice just then. No, I know. Because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm reiterating the story. You only said, I want to get accuracy. You only said it once. Okay, yeah. I was okay. going, I was like, fuck. And I immediately realized that I knew they were there. Yeah. I just forgot about them. So that's why I was like, fuck. You just and I, I moved away from the area very quickly. Vacated the area. And then I felt one land on my leg. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the thing I said then was, no. I'm not sure if I was expecting it to listen to me. So you just yelled at it. I was like, no. Well, at this, point, B. at this point, it lands on my leg, and I'm like, no. And I run <laughs> towards my house. There you go. All right. So I run in my house, and I slam the door behind me, and the fucker stings me in the leg. Damn it. And I'm like, fuck. 
Again. So, so then what do you do? So I'm like, well, you run before the, I die. You run for the water. Let me know. I run straight upstairs. You should have do, dove into the canal like uh, Macaulay Culkin. I ran straight upstairs. In my girl. I literally ran straight upstairs. I open my medicine cabinet. I pull out Benadryl, and I start opening up Benadryl. Now, my girl's here. Yeah. My girl literally is like, what are you doing? And I'm like... I'm pretty sure, I don't know what I said. I'm, I think I said something to the extent of like, I got stung or I need to get Benadryl or something. Right. So I'm getting it. And she was just kind of like ignoring me from it. She just thought I was being like retarded. You are. Well, so then I'm opening up the packet of Benadryl. She comes around the corner, like, and looks in the bathroom. And I think I was like, I got stung. And she goes, You have like seven bees on your back. <laughs> and I was just like, what? She's like, take your clothes off. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so I'm like ripping all my clothes off in the hallway. I'm naked with shoes on in my hallway, right? Hold on. It gets worse. I'm naked with shoes on in my hallway. Bees are flying around the room now. It's just a turtle. I'm fucking, I'm beat. I hit the one on the ground. I'm smashing. I rip my shoe off. I'm smashing it with my shoe, right, on the ground. It's dead. There's another one that's dead that I must have killed pulling my clothes off, Right. right? There's some flying and whatever. So they're sitting there, and I'm like, fuck. And I'm, like, running around, and I'm like, I need to get clothes. you got to get clothes on. Because I'm naked. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I have wasp spray, but it's in the garage. Well, I need to have clothes on to put on wasp spray. But she's like, there's, like, five, between, like, five and seven right. wasps on your clothes. Like, they were on my shorts, on my back, like, and all this stuff. And I'm like, they're probably stinging my clothes, but just couldn't get me, right? right. So I'm like, fuck. She's like, well, hold on. So she goes and opens a window, right? And is like, I'm gonna throw your clothes out the window, right. and I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, I'm gonna throw your clothes out the window. They're covered in bees, and I'm like, but they'll be covered in bees outside. <laughs> but they'll be outside. But they'll be outside. So she's like, no. She literally touches the clothes, and bees come <laughs> flying out of it, right? One of them goes in her hair. <laughs> so now she runs in the other room, right? For more way too hip, hop over to waytohip.com. Or iTunes. Time to get into the tweet sack. There's actually not much in the old tweet sack this time around, though there's word on the web that one of our Succotash faves, the G&J show out of Belfast, Ireland, and its spin-off, the Pissed Off Man Show, have both gone dark, regrettably. If you go up to iTunes and look it up, the show archives are now entitled The No Longer A Show Show. And there's a link to a final entry about why they've closed up shop by G, a.k.a. Gavin Maxwell, over on their Tumblr site. I'll have the link up on our Succotash home site for this episode, so you can go read it yourself. Sorry to see the lads go. Not sure if they're gone for good. Podcasting kind of gets in your blood, but it's also a discouraging business. Money, advertisers, they're mostly reserved for the big names and shows with big numbers, and it's a very crowded playing field, trust me. G&J were awesome supporters of Succotash, and what we're trying to do here, and their link to our show is one of the only things still active on their site. So thanks to all you gave, guys, and know you're always welcome back into this madhouse anytime you want. You, you have your own key, after all. So uh, G&J, hate to see them go, but uh, everybody needs a break now and then. Speaking of a break, we're going to be taking a, not a break, but a little trip down to Los Angeles for the L.A. Podcast Festival on October 12th, 13th, and 14th. We were one of the supporters of that festival in Kickstarter.com, and in return for our investment, we got a three-day pass for that show, or group of shows, or lectures, or whatever the heck they got going on. Uh, I, 
Succotash is not officially represented, but I will be there with my uh, Succotash shirt on. And if there are any comedy podcasters within the sound of my voice, uh, track me down, look me up, and I'll sit down with you for a few minutes and uh, put uh, put our chat up here on Succotash Show. How about that? Uh, so let's get to the Sammy Weijin interview as soon as we hear from our friends at Henderson's Pants. Friends, for years, Henderson's Pants has been saying that we offer stylish lower body wear for every member of your family. Well, it's time to come clean. That hasn't been exactly truthful. Sure, Henderson's offered pants for mom and dad, brother and sister, even baby. But what about Fido and Fluffy, the dogs and cats of this great country? Aren't they members of the family too, you ask? Well, they are now. With Henderson's Pet Pants, your favorite furry friend doesn't have to be bare-assing around the house any longer. With more colors and fabrics than you can fetch a stick with, pets now have no excuse not to be putting on the dog or cat when it comes to stepping out in style. And Henderson's Pet Pants are not just limited to your pooch or pussy. Birds, fish, lizards, we are complete petophiles at Henderson's, and we have just the pant no matter what your are Companion's persuasion. Whether you want to see your Dalmatian in denim or your Persian in petal pushers, we've got it. That squawking cockatiel in corduroy, goldfish in gold lame, or Komodo dragon in khaki, oh, we've got it. Hendersons can even lock your livestock up in stylish trousers. Imagine Porky's ham hocks in herringbone or your frisky llama in linen. We've got that too. Originally designed for petting zoos, furry conventions, and the Bohemian Grove, Henderson's Pet Pants are now available, truly for the first time, for the entire family. That's Henderson's, makers of fine trousers and pantaloons since 1896, and now back to Succotash. I am sitting with Sammy Weijin, and we are at the uh, Cafe Greco in historic North Beach, San Francisco. Sammy Weijant, uh, where do I start? Sammy Weijant is a comedian, actor, writer, uh, gamesman, <laughs> improviser, <laughs> wild on, game hunter, man about town, uh, tour. <laughs> and uh, Sammy has a, a web series out right now on YouTube. It's uh, in the middle of unspooling. As, we, as we're talking now, episode two is up. But uh, you have uh, six episodes all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Everybody is everybody's a Comedian. Well, Everybody's a Comedian is just a, um, it's a web series that sadly is a digital mirror of my life. Uh, it's just about a struggling comedian slash actor slash comedy and acting teacher slash single man in this grand city of San Francisco, California, but uh, yeah, basically, you know, I've always loved shows that were in the ilk of the Seinfelds and the Larry Sanders shows, like something that's a little little bit of a meta, self-referential entertainment, not a spoof, but, you know, holds, holds a mirror up to the, the world of being in entertainment, and the thing about it that I liked, that I personally also don't like, is that... There's a, there's no not really many shows even if they're just little web series that show what it means to be paying your dues. Like a lot of times when we see these shows, they're about someone that we've known about for a long time. Which obviously that's that's really interesting and and, and maybe to most people is much more fascinating to to see Seinfeld in his element or Larry David in his element. But 
being someone who's been doing this for a long time and has a lot of weird experiences that a lot of people have always thought were, <laughs> for better or for worse, sometimes better than the material they've written, I just thought that, uh, you know, it'd be fun to kind of explore the world of, like, this is what it's like to kind of eat shit as an actor, <laughs> eat shit as a comedian, eat shit with women. Uh, so, and it's not all about, like, in, in my opinion, it's not about, like, being in any way bitter toward the career path I've chosen or whatever. It's just to show kind of the the humor in the struggle, like... If I didn't like it, I would stop doing it, you know? I love it, and I've had my successes, and I've had my failures, and it's up and down all the time, just like for anybody else, and you're always waiting for, I guess, whatever that quintessential breakthrough moment is, but at the same time, I think, when I think about, like, focusing on that, it doesn't become fun anymore, and this web series, as art imitating life for me, was just kind of like, it sounded like fun. It sounded like fun to put some of the stories that have actually happened to me into this particular medium. Uh, and obviously it gave me an opportunity to, uh, I guess, selfishly show off a lot of my talented friends, including including the man I'm talking to right now, uh, and also show off, selfishly, my favorite place in the world, uh, specifically the, the city, but also even more specifically the neighborhood that I live in. Like almost all the locations in it are places that I regularly frequent, and uh, there's almost nothing and, and that way even though it's super small low budget web series it's purely it's purely the experience that is being retold it's, it's almost as it happened I mean clearly some things are fudged but uh, for the most part almost everything in the show happened in some way and sometimes it's just a matter of smashing ideas together to fictionalize it a little bit but it's all based on something that really happened and that was a fun challenge too can we just can we just do something that's really interesting and fun and hopefully funny to some people, even though the show, while being kind of a sitcom, isn't supposed to be funny the whole time? I just wanted to see how real I could make the experience and really give people a, a taste of what it really is like to live in a, a big city and do this kind of stuff and, for the most part, always be trying to pay the next bill or network with the next person and all that stuff. But along the way all this shit happens to you, then in a lot of respects, it almost becomes the act, you know? So you came up with a concept. Now, this was, uh, you used Kickstarter to fund the project. Yeah. And uh, we've supported uh, several friends of Succotash uh, that have Kickstarter campaigns. Some of them have been successful. Some of them have not. But you uh, you made your, your goal. And what was that like? It actually, you know, was an amazing experience for... I actually, before Kickstarter, and I think the other one's called Indiegogo, yeah. it might be more than two now, but before those things existed, I always wanted to do something like this where basically you kind of crowdsourced money before we knew what that term meant, uh, but it was really creepy because I was basically emailing my email list and telling everybody to put money into my PayPal account. <laughs> so, you know, there was no incentivizing people's uh, donations. There were no rewards. It was just like, hey, I want to do this thing, and it's going to be really great, I promise. So if you could just give your credit card number and put it into the PayPal account, 
Nobody gets hurt. <laughs> so it was kind of like a ransom. More than sorts, anything. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. I found this font that looked like cut-out magazine letters, so the emails were really interesting. But, uh, but Kickstarter was actually a wonderful experience because I... Uh, I guess it was one of those things that, I, for anybody that's creative that feels like maybe they're in a in a funk of sorts, I would say be realistic about what you want to do, but maybe do one sometime in the near future because, man, it was a it was a shot of confidence because oh, cool. putting it out there to the world that I wanted to do something, even if people didn't really totally get it yet or didn't even maybe even care what it was, there's something to be said about people that know you. Uh, have come across your work or either friends or family or whatever they are to you, but they have some sort of association with you and history of just coming out and just being like, you know what, I'm just happy you're not dead yet. (laughs) It's like, you didn't didn't come back home last Christmas and we were all wondering if maybe you would finally kill yourself. So it's it's nice to kind of know that people people are interested in what you want to make you know i think there's something to be said about and we all know this making stuff it's really hard to go from point a to point z a lot of times and i think people were just really excited to see it come to fruition yeah even though it took longer than i expected it still still happened well it's interesting i mean i was part of the process in that uh well first of all just to kind of give some some back history here that uh, sammy and i were both teaching improv at the san francisco comedy college and that's where we met i mean i you know we never met before and then uh uh the the guy running that uh that facility uh had brought me in based on a recommendation of a friend and you were already there, and you've been do- teaching improv and stand-up, and uh, we kind of figured out how to put a program together. Uh, anyway, we did that for a couple of years, and we wanted to, you know, hey, we should do something together, and we, that, you know, this is what we were doing together was teaching improv. Yeah. Um, but then when you decided you were going to do this thing, you, you put together a teaser video for the Kickstarter campaign, asked me to be part of that. So that was really cool to be part of, you know, this venture. Because you have no clue. Is anyone going to see this or respond yeah. to it or anything? Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And, and also, doing the Kickstarter campaign made me really uh, kind of grow up in terms of marketing for myself. Because, I don't know, I mean, we all, as performers and whatever you do that's creative, you have to kind of put yourself out there. You're kind of the brand and the company. I've never, as someone who's always really enjoyed performing, I've never been one to really... I don't know, toot my own horn that much. I don't really like kind of tell, that sounds bad. It's like, I don't really like telling people to come to my shows. Uh, maybe it's because I'm humiliated. Uh, maybe it's because I'm lazy. Maybe it's both. But either way, like, it really forced me to get into the 21st century and start doing all the things that people are doing so effectively now with digital media and social networks and just getting the word out. And once I started to really get the word out and put together a strategy, I started to kind of really empower myself in the sense that I felt like I could do this, you know. Uh, I could hit this goal. I could make this show. I could get people to watch it. And since you're, you're kind of checking in with your backers throughout the process, trying to at least let them know that you're not buying like a Vespa or something. Um, you know, people are following up on it. They're just saying, you know, can't wait to see it. Do you have photos? Is there footage yet? 
do you, uh, I would love to read one of the scripts. They're just so hungry to like yeah. get well, a little taste. Well, of it. it's it's the idea of I'm help, in this case I'm helping to make a, a movie essentially. Yeah. I you know I'm a producer. I'm giving yeah. you fifty dollars, but yeah. I'm part of this thing. One of my friends gave me a lot of money, so he got the executive producer credit. He shot a guy. He just <laughs> he just feels really important. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's fascinating to watch. Um, and I was fortunate you cast me in, in the series itself. I'm uh, in the second episode. Uh, do the episodes have individual titles? I wasn't... I they don't necessarily so. have individual titles. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there are there are themes. I like that... I call the second episode the, the sleazy TV director episode. Yeah. Because that's the part I play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah. So I call that episode the Mark Bershon is amazing episode. <laughs> that's what my mom calls it. Version one of six. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, each for each episode, like... Since it's so close to the bone in terms of real experiences that have happened to me, mm-hmm. when Greg Rowan, the, a friend of mine and the co-creator, started coming up with ideas for, I don't know, making a making a pilot or making at least like a little web series in this vein, I just started scribbling down all the crazy shit that's happened to me throughout my time doing all this stuff, being an actor and a comedian and, uh, you know, directing and being in charge of little troops and teaching classes like people yeah. like yourself and it really the list started to fill up very quickly you know because it's like I think if you were to look at the scales of justice <laughs> of being in the entertainment industry it's like on one side if the success scale is really high in the air and the other one is really low to the table it is heavy with amazing anecdotes that's good so, way to put it yeah. yeah and so I just started looking at all the shit that's happened to me that if you were a glasses half empty kind of person you could be like fuck this I'm going to go you know whatever I'm not going to in any way belittle another career path but do something that's more practical and I was like this is this is the act this is the material like I mean clearly this is true for anyone that does this kind of stuff but the stories had piled up so much and I had gotten so because I had been doing so many things I mean I know a lot of people do a lot of things but some people only do stand up and they're not actors some people are only actors and they don't do improv and Mm -hmm. sketch or, you know, they definitely don't like to teach these classes. Since I had never really figured out how to be good at any of these things, clearly, I was doing like 18 things. Like, my brother's my accountant, and each year I give him this spreadsheet that at the top of it has all these columns for all my sources of income. And one year it was 23 fucking columns. Wow. And he was like, can you pick a job? Like, what are you doing? Like, how are you even doing all these things? I was like... Well, no one seems to want to hire me more than once to do anything. So just crunch the numbers and I'll cut you the tiny check. But, yeah, like all the experiences put together ended up being something that uh, I just felt like was really fun to dive into. I always think it's fun to kind of poke fun at yourself and also poke fun at the thing that, you know, a lot of people that, I mean, most of the people I know, including yourself, are from this universe. And I thought, even if, like, 22 people watch these episodes, like, I don't I don't know, I think I'm boasting saying I have 22 real friends, but <laughs> let's just say if the six people that actually still text me back watch this thing, you know, I think we're going to all have a good time making fun of ourselves because <laughs> it's awful. Like, the themes that I wanted to hit were trying to, trying to really show how difficult it is to follow your passion uh, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, the double-edged sword of how much fun it is. It's like, 
you can't, you can't, you you should stop doing it in certain respects because it's detrimental to other parts of your life. But it's the only good thing about your life, <laughs> and it kind of consumes your life in a lot of respects. So the episode you were in as an actor, and I went on an audition this morning that was not as covert. Um, <laughs> But I've gone on a lot of auditions for, especially like PSAs and, you know, stuff that you have to get to the callback to learn what it's for. And you go in and you don't know what the hell the audition's for. So as someone who, you know, uh, you know, subjectively I'm a trained actor from, from all the time that I've spent studying acting in college and grad school, like, I think I'm pretty okay with the whole acting process. I'm not saying I'm Lawrence Olivier, but I've learned how to do this to a certain extent. I can do it uh, in a in a particular realm of what I'm capable of doing physically, mentally, emotionally. But if you don't tell me what it is, how am I supposed to right. do it? Right. And so, like that particular uh, scene <laughs> yes. was just it was kind of like this distillate uh, uh, distillization. Think is the actual word I'm trying to say uh, of all the times I've gone into an audition and the people who want to hire someone like you don't tell you what it is, right. and so you're like, well, how am I supposed to do something well when I, it's a it's like a prank, yeah, you know? Yeah. And also with the fact that in that particular episode, I end up getting a PSA where I essentially am the poster boy for pedophilia, which I just want everyone, if, if anyone that I know listens to this, just know that I wrote this like two years before Sandusky was even oh, man. a word. Um, so, yeah, at the times I was like, I don't know if we should even finish that episode because this just got not funny real fast. Oh, boy. But at the same time, the reason that that particular topic was chosen, I took a, ca- a typecasting class in grad school, and one of my professors... Uh, one of my favorite professors ever, Gary Sloan, uh, who I still love and adore, is one of my mentors. He was going, we were going around the room telling everybody who they could be like, like certain famous actors. Like, you want to know what kind of type you are. And that, you know, obviously yes ands into certain types of roles. Sure. Um, and people kind of went around with me. A lot of people have said in, in, over the years that I slightly, in some way, resemble Sean Penn and. Robin Williams. If there's two people that I guess I resemble, and it's not to say that I'm as good as them in any regards, but I have basically their face oh, okay. at some point in their life. They looked like what I look like today, which I'm sure that was a very sad time for them. But anyway, everybody went around the horn and said it, and then the professor was the last person to go. And, you know, everybody's, you know, on pins and needles about what is he going to say about each person. So everybody was very quiet. And he sat there and, like, stroked his chin for about... 15, 20 seconds, and then the first thing he said is, he goes, Sammy, one day you're going to play an amazing child molester. (laughs) And everyone just obviously starts laughing, and it just crushed me. And he goes, hear me out, hear me out, because he wanted to get the laughter down. He goes, no, 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 I'm not, I'm saying you're going to play a role where a guy is accused of being a pedophile. We learned later you didn't do it, but you could have done it. There's your Oscar. And so oh, one day buddy. I'm going to win, hopefully, if this man is Nostradamus, <laughs> I'm going to win a fucking Oscar for touching kids. Right. Or maybe not doing it. <laughs> nice. So I just wanted to put that into the that particular episode because I've gone on a couple of auditions where getting the role, which is obviously a good thing, basically was an insult. <laughs> like I got this one little regional commercial who knows what state this thing even plays in because I think it's still going because every once in a while someone will mention it and it doesn't feel good but I got on set 
And the woman who was doing makeup goes, there's our Jim Belushi. Oh, nice. And it was like, that wasn't said to me nice. in the casting. Like, I'm Jim Belushi? I don't want to be fucking Jim Belushi. At least say John Belushi. Why am I according to Jim? Oh, my God. So it's like, you know, at a certain point, you have to kind of go, would you rather be according to Jim and maybe every once in a while get hired? Or think that you're John Belushi and never get hired. So that's the weird little meat in the sandwich of doing this kind of stuff in a lot of respects. Until you either quit or break through or whatever it is that you think you should be doing is the end goal. Yeah. Um, so you'd mentioned uh, your your training in school and whatnot. Where, where did you go to school for acting? I went to a small school in uh, Georgia. It's about 40 minutes north of Atlanta. It's called Shorter College. I think now Shorter University. It was such a small school, uh, and this has been kind of a theme in a lot of things that I've done. It became a place where I got to call the, my own shots. Like, a lot of the bigger universities that you might recognize if someone was to put them on their resume, I knew friends that went to those schools, and they didn't even get to be in a play until, like, they were juniors. Yeah. But I went to this place, and it was. it's not like they didn't have money or great professors. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. It just wasn't this gigantic, prestigious university, like a Juilliard-type place. And so I went in, and I was automatically thrown into what I wanted to be thrown into, being a stagehand on a production. I've never done that. I've never built a set. I've never helped design lights or run the soundboard or all that kind of stuff. And I got to have tiny little speaking roles as a freshman. And then as, obviously, time went on, I got bigger roles. I got to stretch myself doing all that stuff. But the major thing that came out of going there is that they didn't have any kind of comedy group. And I met this guy in the theater department. We were both, you know, going there. And uh, one night, we were just having dinner. We started talking about how it was so much fun to be doing all this as, like, school on top of the other classes that we obviously hated because we have no, you know, marketable skills besides making an ass of ourselves. <laughs> but we were like, man, Whose Line's in Anyway? You know, you start talking about the stuff you like. Yeah. At the time, Whose Line's in Anyway was about the only thing on TV that was anywhere close to being, I guess, improv. There was no Curb Your Enthusiasm or anything like that at the time. And so um, I was like, I would love to do that. I don't know how. I mean, I've watched those shows. I, I would love to fail trying to do that, figure it out, succeed later by getting good at it, by just practicing, practicing, practicing. So we started a comedy troupe, and that became kind of the biggest change in everything in my my life and, and also just like what I wanted to do. Because then I was doing, not only was I doing, it's kind of like, I think we were doing like a weekly show, like every, who knows, Wednesday night or something. And it like was sketch, kind of improv. It was mostly improv. And so what I did was I went on online into the Barnes and Nobles and Borders of the World when those still existed. I don't know if anyone remembers when bookstores oh, existed. Oh, yes, yes. But I would Some just of our listeners go may to be the, familiar yeah, with that. I would go to the like, film and theater or film and TV theater section, whatever it was referred to as, and I would buy anything that had anything to do with theater games, acting exercises, improvisation. And so within like my freshman year of college, I had literally like 50 books, and I read every single one of them. I, I was more interested in those than my textbooks for obvious reasons. And so not only was I getting to do this thing that I really wanted to do and kind of, like, figure it out on the fly, uh, I, I was in charge of it. Like, because all these people were, like, auditioning for the group or asking to be in it after they saw how fun the shows were, even though we were very kind of unpolished. We were having a good time, and people were enjoying right, it. Yeah. But I was having to be kind of the director slash 
teacher because everyone that signed up for it had no clue how to do it. And clearly I didn't either. I was just the asshole handing, holding the book. That's right. And so I was just kind of like, well, on page 18 it says if we all get in a circle <laughs> and one person gets in the middle and says a word and then we, you know, and so at that time I just started, I just started doing all this stuff, but not only like participating, I was in charge and I liked, I liked both. I liked being kind of the director uh, and I liked being kind of the person who was calling the shots and making the decisions for this group. Because clearly, you know, everybody in a group like that has their own sensibility. And I guess it felt good to know that mine was the one that was getting put out there. Uh, just because otherwise I probably wouldn't have wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. I really loved teaching people. And I really loved directing and kind of molding the set list. And molding kind of the aesthetic and the tone of our shows. And then eventually we evolved to having like a cold open sketch followed by all the improv. Then it started getting... It evolved to me doing a cold open like monologue, late night talk show style. Okay. Where I, that's where I first started doing stand up. Okay. The first time I ever did stand up, I hosted a talent show at on my campus, and I did forty five minutes of material. Really? For the first time I ever did stand up, <laughs> I did almost an hour. That's unheard of. It didn't make any sense. I don't. Th- I and mean, you, people, you didn't have anything to pattern yourself after. Exactly, and so that became a running theme. And same was true for this web series and other things like that. Well, let's talk about the. Uh, about the web series, um, you've got it'll be six episodes, and if people will people be able to buy the DVD at some point. I think so. I, th- I mean, I think I want to get you know each each week we're putting up an episode, and then there's like a little special feature after that. But after that, I'll think I'll reevaluate where we are. Like, do people want to buy the DVD? Should we make another season of these? I put up the Kickstarter. I mean, literally, I think it was the date was like April 12th of 2011. And then you, you know, I think you can change how many days you want to actually have it up there. But I chose like a month. So we got the money like May 12th. Well, I didn't post the first episode until August 6th of 2012. So it was a little over a year after I got the money. And I guess in the grand scheme of making little film projects, even if they're a web series as, comp- uh, as opposed to like some giant feature film, it's still an effort. Like you still have to round up a lot of people. You got to get locations. Yeah. You got to have the scripts. You got to everything has to come together for it to happen. Whether it's good or bad, it still has to it still has to happen, and it takes a while. And so, yeah, it did take a little longer than I expected. But now that it's up, um, you know, from the people that have been watching it, including yourself, I mean, not that it's uh, got two and a half men kind of numbers or anything. <laughs> But that's still a show, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah somebody's somebody's <laughs> on that show. But uh, yeah, it's like people really people really like it, I guess. And, and even like I said, even if it is mostly people who are from that world who can empathize, uh, the last thing I want it to be is is uh, alienating to people who don't do you know the acting comedy stuff. Sure. But I thought everyone could uh, relate to someone really trying to go after their dream or whatever you want to call it. And, and finding a lot of hurdles. Not failing. I mean, I don't see it as, like, the character, uh, in, by way of character me, failing as much as just continuing to be faced with challenges. And can he get past those challenges? And if he can't, sometimes that's that's fodder, you know? Like, that, yeah. that's sometimes funnier than if you get past it. So, Well, like you said, you've been able to garner quite a bit of material from your own life, so there's probably no shortage of other episode ideas to... Uh, to put forth, uh, we'll definitely embed, you know, one of the episodes on on our home site, and then guide people to uh, the channel so they can see the rest of them. Um, if uh, 
if you had your druthers, what would the what would the next season sort of be about at this point? I mean, I know it's it's a long way to think ahead, but if, if you could go, well, this is what I've learned from the first go around. This is what I'd like the second the second season of Everybody's a Comedian to be. I think it would be about really making uh, making taking bigger risks. You know, with the actual show itself, but also within the within the story, because I think that's true for anyone who does this kind of stuff. You, you know, at a certain point, you know, let's just take a comedian for instance. At a certain point, somebody says, or many people say, you should be a comedian, and then when you finally get up the courage to do it, and you don't throw up before and after each set, and you start to get a little confident and a little bit better each time you go I can do this and then there's that plateau I can do five minutes once again like me starting very stupidly by doing 45 minutes which to this day I've probably done like three times since then <laughs> one time in my shower uh, I take really long showers I guess so yeah. yeah there's a microphone in there which is not good uh, but yeah it's just, I, I think one of I'm not going to give anything away but the way that the season ends is a compromised version of how I really wanted to end, and the reason we couldn't do it the way I wanted to was because I really, I really didn't have enough money to get a certain type of person to play a certain type of role. That basically, without giving anything away, was like kind of the the key to the city, you know, like the discovery yeah. scene by some you know bigger name or whatever. But anyway, I think what I would like to see is the character and the people in the world which most of them are also actors and or comedians, taking bigger risks and having, having bigger decisions to make, you know? Because one, one of the reasons to make the show and one of the little uh, kind of like hurdles in the character's life and also in my real life is like, where should I be to do all this? You know, I, I started out, in a, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, then I moved to Rome, Georgia. I went to grad school in Washington, D.C., which is a great improv and, and theater town. Not much on-camera acting and not much stand-up, even though there's more stand-up there now than when I was living there. It's like, still not New York, still not L.A., didn't go to Chicago for the improv sketch stuff. So the idea of, like, this show already being in San Francisco, it's like, what else is there to do here mm. that I haven't already done? Not saying I've done everything you can do in San Francisco, just saying, like, would I be happier if I left? Would I be more successful if I left? And I think... Having things that pop up where there's more opportunities, you know, outside of the the kind of comfort zone would be interesting. And maybe that would have to do with jobs. Maybe it would have to do with a day job, you know. Like, I have now, since I made the show, I have now a day job. And what if I got transferred to Boston? Right. You know, what if I got transferred to L.A. or New York? Or what if I got laid off? Would that just that be the impetus for me to go, fuck it, I'm just moving. But I think anytime you're telling a story, I mean, obviously I'm preaching the choir with you, but like, Raising the stakes makes it better. It makes it, you know, it gives it, the characters more interesting choices. It hopefully makes for better, better entertainment in terms of things are a little more uncomfortable, a little bit more mysterious. Hopefully, a little funnier. Hopefully, a little bit more cathartic when they work out in a certain way. And so, yeah, I would just have to dive into the bigger decisions I've made because a lot of these are, while kind of humiliating experiences, or some of them are really painful, but. You know, because in the second episode we had my real fiance playing, or ex fiance playing herself. That, yeah. uh, for everyone that's listening, I actually work with her now. <laughs> we're doing great. Uh, we still hate each other, but we work now. <laughs> we're doing, we're, we're friends, but it's like a lot of people are like, oh man, that must be weird to, you know, have that as 
you know, part of your life now in the job or even in the web series. It's like, no, I mean, it's all parts of the course. Nothing has ever made sense. <laughs> but uh, I think putting putting the character in a situation where he has to choose between, because that's always been something with me, and that's why I'm still, I guess, single and, and pretty broke. Is like I've never been able to figure out if I can share my personal and professional lives and, and excel in both of them. Gosh. I think a lot of artists think, like, i got to have a shitty life to be a good artist. And I don't personally really think that. I just have had that happen a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if fate said that. Yeah, to you. but but it's usually like my life is really shitty and it makes me a shitty artist. <laughs> no, or it just it makes me it makes me uh, a lot of times burn out and, and you know it discourages me sometimes. But uh, yeah, it'd just be interesting to see where we could go with with like putting some really big obstacles in the path of this guy who, while not hitting it big at the moment or maybe anytime soon. He kind of likes his weird kick himself in the balls existence. Like it's comfortable. He knows what to expect. Yeah. No one really expects much of him. Yeah. He wears a cup now. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. So if maybe somebody took that cup off, we might see some more fun stuff. Interesting. Which I basically mean season two, no pants. No pants. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you yeah. we'll look forward to. Uh, so the series is everybody's a comedian. Sammy Weijin is the star and. Creator, uh, co-creator, co-creator with Greg Rowan, with Greg Rowan, longtime friend of mine, and he's also a, a director in town, creative director in agency. Yeah. So yeah, and the, the series has a great look to it, which is uh, really good to see in a web series. Sometimes the production values of these things are not very good, but this is actually really pleasant to watch just from a visual standpoint. Uh, so get up to YouTube again; the link will be up on our site. And uh, uh, I've been wanting to talk to Sammy uh, on the show. But also, uh, I'd like to have you come into the studio and actually guest co-host with me, and actually with the regular format where I play clips and yeah, uh, we can comment about these different podcasts that are out there. So, uh, thanks for the time and uh, good luck with the series. Let's see what happens. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. All right. Good talking to you. Bit of an apology for the noise on that interview. Um, Sam and I thought it would be kind of cool to do our interview at an authentic North Beach Italian coffee joint in San Francisco. So that's what we did. But it turned out to be uh, some noise levels that we didn't count on going on there. It gets in the way a bit, but hey, it's an authentic North Beach coffee house uh, noise, so so deal. Uh, you can catch all six episodes of Everybody's a Comedian now on YouTube. Just type the title into the search box at youtube.com and start watching. We can't get out of here without our burst o durst, so here it is. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few words in the Democratic National Convention, which was also interrupted by bad weather, and from this we can deduce that apparently, like the American public, God is not overly fond of politicians. The Democrats had Michelle Obama headline their first night, and the president's wife was so classy and inspiring that people immediately started checking out the 25th Amendment for loopholes that would allow the first lady to jump to the head of the list of succession. The next day, they finally let the big dog off-leash, and the whole house howled at the moon. For 48 minutes, Bill Clinton barked it out old school. Some people claim the only reason he was in North Carolina was confusion over whether Charlotte was the host city or a dinner date set up by eHarmony.com. But whatever compelled the 42nd POTUS to attend, it became obvious from the get-go that his peculiar magic remains intact. Elvis has re-entered the building. Convention delegates swooned. Even Michelle couldn't hide a secret grin. Wouldn't be surprised to find out Ann Romney had one, too. 
Afterwards, he could almost hear the man from Hope whisper to Mr. Hope and Change as the two embraced, Follow that, mofo. And on the closing night, he did. While Joe Biden teared up, Barack Obama tore it up. Not soaring to the golden-throated suburb that is Bubba Heights, but dignified, hopeful, and focused. There we say, presidential. After two weeks of watching the best that our political parties have to offer, it'd be hard not to notice that while the Democrats have a deep bench, the Republicans have an empty chair and two empty suits. But to be fair, they're very nice suits. And they have bigger balloons. For Suckadash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. That puts a wrap on Suckadash Epi 35. Thanks so much to Sammy Weijin for the interview and to the podcasters who took the time to send in clips and ask about getting on the show. Especially thanks to you, our loyal listeners, because without your iTunes ratings, your Stitcher thumbs-ups, and your Like the Suckadash Show page on Facebook, we probably wouldn't even know you were out there. Interested in contacting the show? It's easy. You can uh, contact me directly through email at mark, M-A-R-C, at succotashshow.com or info at succotashshow.com. We're on Twitter at succotashshow. We're on Facebook with the Succotash Show page. And finally, you can call in at the Succotash hotline, area code 818-921-7212. Whatever you leave on there, we might just play on the show. Until next time, please remember to pass the Suckatash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants. And imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com or at Suckatash Show on iTunes and even at Suckatash Show on your smartphone Stitcher app. Follow Suckatash on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend Suckatash on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com or just pick up that phone and give Suckatash a ring at 1-818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is... Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the suck attack.